This empty chair represents the addict who died today, not knowing recovery was possible. Hi everyone and welcome to tonight's episode of This Empty Chair. I got two amazing guests here with us this evening. Um, I just met Eli this past, no, two weekends ago at um, the Nifonts and this is my first time meeting this young woman in which I might have met you there and I just don't know it, but because mm -hmm. you do look familiar. <laughs> so we have um, an amazing show tonight. Um, together right now, you're looking at 48 years of recovery between the three of us. So we're here to let you all know that recovery does happen, can happen and will happen if you put the work into it. April is Alcohol Awareness Month. Um, over 140,000 individuals lose their life each year to excessive alcohol abuse and use. Um, so that's why tonight or every night we do this show, it's just to continue to bring awareness of alcoholism, drug addiction, but most importantly, that there is hope and there is a way out. And uh, tonight you're gonna hear two amazing testimonies on how these individuals have survived. Um, tonight's show, get his picture ready, mm -hmm. is dedicated to Justin Stout. Justin is a son, a father, and a friend to many, and he is missed by everyone, his family in North Carolina or Tennessee, all the people in Portland, and I know he's missed uh, mostly by the two of you. Want to give us a little bit about Justin and who he was? Well, <clears throat> so I met Justin when I first got sober. I, I, I had got out of rehab and they shipped me to Portland, Maine. Mm -hmm. And um, my roommate in the sober house I was living with was friends with Justin. And, and what's funny is both Justin and I did not like each other when we first met each other. Mm -hmm. We actually really did not care for <laughs> each other at all. Um, and and slowly we became friends and, and I sponsored him for a year. Um, you know, we'd go work out together. We'd go, you know, I mean, we, we were pretty tight. Um, yeah, I, I, I miss him a lot. Yeah. How long ago did he pass? It'll be a year, three weeks from tomorrow. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, Justin Stout's family, our thoughts and prayers are still with you and, um, his loss is felt in the community and that's why they're here tonight to continue to carry a message of hope to all of those. So I see you. Um, I want to um, take this time to thank Officer Danny Sinclair of the Newburyport Police Department. She allows me the opportunity to report um, overdoses for the Merrimack Valley. Um, since January of this year, we have had 116 overdoses, with 10 of those being fatalities. And that is in the Methuen, Andover, North Andover, Lawrence, and Havel area alone. 2022 ended with 1,134 overdoses and 161 of those being fatalities. And those was for Essex County. Um, and again, I only say these numbers so that we can continue to try and decrease the stigma that's attached to this disease and continue to bring light and hope out into this world. So that's what our goal and our mission is. I also wanna thank all of our sponsors. I didn't tell you folks. So throughout the show, you're going to see a banner of different sponsors. <clears throat> These companies purchased that banner. So um, it's a win-win. The money that they used for their banners to be advertised here, it goes into a account. So if someone needs scholarship money to go to sober living, so cool. we write a check and we, well, we, they have to meet certain criteria. And, um, and then they go and we pay typically for the first month. We've also paid for individuals to get their, um, our, their recovery coach certification. Mm -hmm. um, so throughout the night, you're going to see the banners going by. So I do want to thank Bob and Andrea Surrett of Alternative Healthcare, um, the Fritz family at Atkinson's Flooring, Sid Harris of Discovering Methuen, Enterprise Bank. We love Enterprise Bank. Mm -hmm. Essex County Outreach, again, which is Officer Danny Sinclair out of Newburyport. Essex Flooring, which is Fred Orazio and his employees, uh, one being my husband, but it's all good. <laughs> we love it. Um, also, Greater Lawrence Family Health Center, the Haven of Hope. I'd like to thank Saeed Coates, uh, the Lawrence Bethune Community Coalition, which is Harold Magoon and Friends. The Meta Addiction Services, thank you, Matt Simpson, and also uh, one of the girls that's on my board, which is Christina. Thank you for all that you do. 
Title Boxing in North Andover. Thank you to Lauren McCauley and Patrick Kelly. And a big shout out to r, &R Welding and Fabric. Um, and as always, I like to thank Costa Broadcasting for allowing us to be here. And the best producer behind that window is Ruth. Uh, I was going to say Ruth. <laughs> yeah, Ruth. Yeah, Lou Blasey, um, who supports our mission, who's here faithfully and couldn't do this without you. So thank you. Um, some upcoming events is do, do, do MVP ASAP. As we know, we are the experts in prevention and education. And we continue to remain busy by being the local resources at several events. We were at North and Essex Community College Resource Night. Um, we were yesterday at the Merrimack Valley Chamber of Commerce Wellness Fair. And we're heading into the Spring Gym at the Haverhill Campus at Northern Essex uh, again. This past Monday, I was telling you guys, um, CARES Initiative had Maine Works present at their resource night. And um, if you want to type in mainworks.us because I want them people to have that um, the, uh, go to comments we'll mm -hmm. figure it out and where do I type mm, down the bottom there. of that column on the right five column on the right try down the bottom down at the bottom mm. Mm. I got nothing yeah okay all right well we'll we'll, we'll figure it out on a commercial break <laughs> so we have um, Mainworks, and what an amazing concept. And I love mm -hmm. that you two knew all about it, because yep. obviously you're from Maine. Mm -hmm. So now they're reaching out to Massachusetts and New Hampshire. And um, for those of you that don't know, Mainworks is an employment um, organization for individuals who have just gotten out of prison, out of jail, um, and those that are just looking for work and can't um, find employment. So they came in and, and shared how they'll give work boots, like they get them everyone mm -hmm. prepared. Right now it is manufacturing and construction. However, they are reaching out to other organizations. So I was really impressed with it. Um, I One of my favorite parts was that they do tattoo removal for free. Um, so if individuals have any facial tattoos mm -hmm. and they want to present at an, cool. um, an interview, they would um take them through that which was pretty awesome yeah they do a lot There's they a lot do of a real lot and mm -hmm. it was just um i'm actually going to meet the owner which is margo yeah i think she's yeah. coming out to the police station um nice. this month to, cool. to meet with me which is pretty cool so we also have weekly happenings we have the circle of hope which is a family support group over at the mcdoan police department we meet 6 30 to 8. um if you need more information on that you can reach out to phil Leahy. Every Tuesday evening at the Ray of Light Cafe, we have Celebrate Recovery. Um, that is at 92 Merrimack Street in Haverhill. For more information on that, you can reach out to Diana. Um, we also have a Recovery Coach Academy coming up in June. Um, I don't know the dates that they're doing it. However, you can reach out to 857-361-9913, or you can reach out to Diana Teal for that as well. I always like to bring um, the Phoenix Gym into everyone's forefront. They have a full schedule listed on their Facebook page. Lots of classes and opportunities, and all you need to be is 24 hours sober, and it's free. Free is for me. And just a reminder that we have aerobics at the Methuen Police Department. Um, every Tuesday and Wednesday night, 5.30 to 6.30, there is a drop-in fee for $10.00. And if you want more information about that, you can just reach out to me. And I think that is all I have. So now we get into the good stuff of hearing <laughs> your stories. First of all, go willing to go any lengths. Thank you for driving over an hour to come here to be with me tonight to share your testimonies. And, uh, and I look forward to learning a little bit more about you. And um, so I'm going to hand it off to you to tell us. How'd you get here? <laughs> oh man. Well, it's, it's definitely been a long road and, and you know, the, the thing that I like to, I always kind of premise with is so, so my, my sobriety dates, June 25th, 2012. Um, nice. So I'll be coming up on 11 years, you know, it, you know, and what I like to say is I, I did some things this morning, right. When I woke up, um, that helped me stay sober. And I'm going to do some things before I go to bed that are also going to help me stay sober. And, uh, you know, I did those things yesterday and I'm going to do those things today. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to do them tomorrow too. So like, you know, I, I don't look at, 
you know, so much the time. But what I do know is that if I continue doing those things, uh, you know, the time has shown me that I got a pretty good shot of not having to do this, you know, like get sober again. I can yeah. just stay sober, you know, and be recovered. Um, so I, I was born in sunny Southern California in Costa Mesa. Um, I moved to Maine. Well, my parents moved. I had very little to do with it. My parents <laughs> moved to Maine when I was four. Um, and I grew up in a little town called Damariscotta. It's, it's about an hour north of Portland, which is where okay. I live now on the coast. Um, and I mean, I, my first drink was nine um, and I loved it, mm -hmm. you know, and what was it? Jägermeister. Whoa. My dad gave it to me. Whoa. <laughs> my family's listening. I'm really sorry. But, um, <laughs> the, you know, it, it definitely, it definitely triggered something within me. And uh, you know, I, quickly fell there was a whole group of us kids who you know we we were the kids who would you know sneak a little bit of booze out of our parents liquor cabinet bring it in a Poland spring bottle combine it after school mm -hmm. and you know there'd be vodka tequila rum whatever <laughs> we could put in there um and and we'd drink it and then we'd smoke cigarettes and skateboard and this was you know like 10 nice. 11 years old um so it was like, you know, from an early age and like, I was always like relatively smart. I, I my dad calls me the smartest dumbass he's ever met. Um, <laughs> and, and, you I know, like yeah, mm -hmm. I, I wasn't sure if it was, you know, I was like, thanks. I think like, <laughs> I don't really know what to say to that. Um, but I, alcohol began making decisions for me before I really even knew that it was. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I graduated with honors. I was in AP classes in high school and stuff. I was a smart kid. Um, I didn't, but I really had no like direction, you know, and I like, I was always feeling like distant and not, not a part of, and, you know, I, I never thought I was good enough. And, you know, I just, I just, I wanted to get out of where I was so bad anyway to get out of myself. So, um, I wound up going to university in New Hampshire and, and I picked that college because it was the one where a whole bunch of fraternity brothers literally yanked me off the streets and got me drunk. Okay. And I was like, I'm going here. This place is awesome. Um, the things we base our decisions yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. You know, and well, I, I knew that I wanted to go into environmental science and literally my thought process for that when I was 18 was like, well, you know, I, I enjoy being outside and I really enjoy smoking weed. So seems <laughs> nice. like that's, that's two pretty good things that'll go with the environmental program. Yes. Um, Cause I like, I wanted to be a game warden or something. I wasn't really sure. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then I joined a fraternity there and, and I'll tell you this, I, I didn't graduate college, but I definitely came out of there with like a PhD in alcoholism. Cause Amen. that like right? taught me how to drink. Yeah. Um, <laughs> taught me how to drink. Yep. Um, by that time i had you know started racking up arrests um you know one of my one story that i do tell a lot is um so i was going to a fraternity party and they were drinking jungle juice and i remember i walked in there at midnight and they were doing a toast and and this this is why the the classical thinking of an alcoholic like will come out in this story but uh, I ripped a glass out of this girl's hand and I chugged it and I threw it on the floor and, you know, she's like, you know, swearing me up and down, you know, and, 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 you know, I was like, you know, tough, tough cookies, go, go get another drink, you know, well, I blacked out 30 minutes later and I'd actually gotten roofied through, you know, oh, wow. and, and I woke up in jail the next wow. morning and they told me that i was like trying to stumble home and i couldn't talk i could barely walk wow. um and you know that's not what makes me an alcoholic what what i like to think and you know one of those like red flags if you will yeah was that i considered myself a hero you saved for her. that i saved her. You did. i was like you know if i hadn't been there yeah. if i hadn't drank that yeah who knows what happened I know, you know, no. instead of looking at it for what it really was, mm -hmm. it's like, wow, man, like you, you know, you're out of control. Yeah. What were you doing there anyway? Yeah. You know, um, but I started, I mean, I, I think in mass, you call them DWIs mm -hmm. in, in Maine, we call them OUIs because 
in Maine, you can, you know, get an operating under the influence for like a lawnmower or like a boat because people yeah. actually mm -hmm. do that up there. Yeah. Um, My friend got pulled over on a big wheel. That was his first yeah. yeah. So <laughs> it's 16. <laughs> And he pulled over, and the car goes license and registration. He's like, "Remember that story?" <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, well. So I have three of those. Um, it should have been four. Nice. One got pled down. Okay. Um, so technically, I'm a convicted felon, mm -hmm. um, which I find really hilarious because my my first sponsor would be oh, like just to make sure I was kept in my place you know he'd be like dude like you don't even have a cool felony it's like you didn't even do anything cool he's like you're just an idiot you just got caught a bunch um he's like you didn't beat anyone up you didn't rob anyone you didn't steal anything you know he's like you're just an idiot I was like I I know um but you know the the red flags were there and you know to 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 not talk about the program of Alcoholics Anonymous you know would be doing myself a real disservice but the reality is through all that i'd been court ordered to go to aa since i was 18 years old and i got sober at 25. um oh. yeah and i wanted nothing of what alcoholics anonymous had i would i was the guy who would leave 10 minutes early so i could go buy beers at the gas station across the street and wave to the people coming out of the aa meeting <laughs> as i was walking out with my beers because you know I'm like, well, I'll show them, mm -hmm. you know, and really that, you know, <laughs> looking back, that's, that that's me hitting myself in the hand with a hammer and being like, see, see how that hurts you. You know, like when really all I'm doing is, you know, just hurting myself. Um, the, the idea. So like, uh, do we talk about the steps in here? Like, you okay. So Let like, it go where it goes. so like step one in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, that admitted that we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. I fully had conceded to my innermost self by, by the time I was, you know, 25, right at the very end, I was like, I am definitely an alcoholic hundred percent. And I wore it like a badge of honor. Mm -hmm. It's like, this is awesome. This is who I am. You know, I, I, I tried to get addicted to opiates. Oh, God. I tried. <laughs> I, I I did oxycotton like eight times. Yeah. And I was like, I actually don't like this at all. Yeah. Well, I would just oh. I would either fall asleep or I'd throw up. And yeah. I was like, this doesn't seem very much fun. Like, <laughs> Not at all. I mean, at least if I'm gonna throw up, I might as well have make a night out of it. And, you know, have some <laughs> booze. You know, and the the uppers were a lot more my thing. Um, but. I, the idea that my life was unmanageable was something that I was not willing to accept. Mm -hmm. So at the end, uh, I was living in a house with a friend of mine. The house actually belonged to my father. Um, I was paying rent there, which really meant I wasn't paying rent at all. Um, <laughs> all the utilities were, you know, owed, owed for back months, you know, getting ready to get shut off. Um, I could work maybe two, three days a week. I'd, I'd wake up in such bad withdrawal. Um, I, I, I wouldn't be able to go to work uh, so far under the poverty line. It wasn't even funny. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I don't know if I've ever, if once again, if my family's listening, I'm really sorry, but um, <laughs> I don't think I've ever really told them this and I did it for a, a specific reason, but um, I got my third OUI and um I got bail. I bailed myself out of jail. I walked home and I went back to that house and it was, you know, an utter disaster as it always was. And, and I called my dad once I got my phone turned back on and I was like, Hey, you know, I, I think I'm just, I'm out. You know, they basically told me to kick rocks and they were like, you're on your own now. Mm -hmm. Um, I was like, I'm out. I think I'm going to sit, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to take a week and think about my life, you know, which is, that's like alcoholic code for like, I'm just going to get blacked out drunk in my house yes. for a week. <laughs> um, precisely what I did. There were some pills involved. Um, and I decided that, you know, my, me being on this planet probably just wasn't a good idea. Mm -hmm. And so I tried to take my own life and it mm -hmm. didn't work. Um, and, and that last day was when finally, like, cause the booze wasn't working anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I wasn't able to to get the effect that I had wanted. And it didn't matter how much I drank. I mean, I, I would drink Bacardi clear, mm. 
by itself. Um, Mixer was just, you know, that, that, that was just wasted space and wasted money. I didn't have the money to pay for Mixer. Um, and, and it just stopped working. It didn't, no matter how much I drank it, I just, I couldn't get drunk. And I, I just, I wanted the noise in my head to stop, yeah. you know, and, and it didn't work. And I broke down. Uh, I called my roommate. I had him take me to detox. That was the third time I went to detox. I much preferred, I should have gone to detox many more times than that. I just, I preferred to ride it out at home. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> which hindsight, that was a really stupid idea. Yeah, um, um, but you know, the, the, the funny thing, so no one had explained to me the disease of alcoholism, yeah. even at that point. So I go to detox, right. And I'll never forget this. They did my blood work. Um, and, and I walk in there like I own the place, you know, <laughs> I'm, you. I'm like this scrawny little, like, I weigh like 140 pounds, like probably wearing clothes that I've been wearing for like five. I was all but homeless, yeah. you know, um, and, and they come out and the doctor comes out and I'll never, this is like one of the first like God moments in my life. I didn't realize it at the time, but, you know, he comes out and he was like, do you have a death wish? Hmm. And I was like, what the, what is he like? I didn't tell anyone. Right. And I was like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Cause I knew that if I told them that I had tried to end my life, I would have been staying in there a lot longer than three to five days. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he was like, listen, he's like, we found this, 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 and this in your blood, right? Your BAC was 0.42. You walked in here, you filled out the paperwork Wow. And they're like, and, and you, and you know, no one was the wiser. And so what I did was I started the old game that I'd play in detox and be like, Hey, I, I need something. Help me, please. Mm -hmm. You know, and then they start feeding me more pills and they're like, do you want to die? And, uh, you know, he was like, you, he was like, you're a smart kid. You yeah. have been, I remember you, you've been here before, you know, and you probably should figure this out. Mm -hmm. And I knew I was looking at like some pretty serious charges. And so, <clears throat> they laid pamphlets of rehabs. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll never, and, and I'm, I'm like, all these look like they're terrible. Like, I don't want to go to any of these. Mm -hmm. um, but there was one with a pool and I saw, and I opened that one up and I saw they had ping pong and I was like, well, it's June. <laughs> I was like, I might as well go hang out by a pool for 30 days. It's in yeah. the mountains in New Hampshire. Um, you know, they got a ping pong. I like playing ping pong. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, all right. Cause I, I knew I was facing charges and you know, like a, a uh, a letter from that rehab might, you know, help me like either stay of out of jail course. or maybe a lesser sentence. So I was like, all right, like I'll sing their little song, you know, I'll <laughs> do their little dance. I, I'm really good at that. Yep. Um, and, and so I picked that one. And when I got to that rehab, they'd filled the pool in and, uh, they, they took the ping pong table out because, uh, two people got caught having sex on it. Nice. Um, <laughs> and I was like, where am I? Like, what is my life come to, you know? Um, and so they, they started to outline the disease of alcoholism. Right. And so we, we talk about like the threefold disease and, and, you know, these things that like I'm about to mention, like as, as I stay sober longer and I think back about like what it was like, um, you know, the, the, the flags were there, the progression was there because this is a progressive disease. Right. So, um, <clears throat> have an allergy to alcohol, right? Mm -hmm. Well, that that's, I, I, we break out in handcuffs. Yeah, <laughs> basically like, and I, you know, I was like, yeah, you know what? That checks out. Yep. Uh, I drink a lot and mm -hmm. you know, there's no telling what I'm about to do. Right. Um, and I have a mental obsession, right? Mm -hmm. it, it, you know, a constant or reoccurring thought that, that does not respond to reason, yeah. you know, or sane thought. Um, so like the allergy, I can remember when I, when I, did work i'd get out of work and i would buy maybe some beers and i definitely buy some booze and i i would chug the first one and and it was just like it was like someone put a warm blanket over me right yeah. that's that's the allergy yep. and then you know the the obsessive piece is is what i i talked about in terms of just never like wanting more of it. Right. I always wanted to try and find the exact like mixture, mm. you know, um, of, of what would make me feel okay. Mm. Um, 
And then I had that, like what we call it, the hole in the soul, like the spiritual malady, right? Like yeah. it's, it's what, it's what caused me. So I did those things, right? I did all those things. I'm mm -hmm. guilty of them. You know, I've, I've got the court documentation to prove that I'm guilty. Um, but the idea that my morals and beliefs and ideal system was so far out of whack. You yeah. know, I, I believed that I was a family man. I believed that I was, you know, I was a good partner, even though I, I, a, I didn't have a partner. No one wanted to be anywhere, <laughs> like, you know, within 10 feet of me. Um, but I would have made one, yes. you know, I definitely would have made one. Um, I was a hard worker, even though I worked, you know, two or three days a week. Mm -hmm. Um, but I believed all these things like yeah. with my full, every fiber of my being, you know, the hero in our heads. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and that, you know, that to me was the, the, the spiritual malady in terms of, you know, those beliefs, morals, and ideals. And I realized, and it was taught to me that like, I needed to reorder those and reorganize them. You know, mm -hmm. we, we talk in AA about having had a spiritual experience as the result of these steps. Well, you know, I did the steps and I had a result. I, I, I had an ordering and reorganization of my beliefs, thoughts, and ideas that caused me to think in a different way. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's, I don't know if I said this already, but like in my time being sober, like what I do know is that I have stayed sober in spite of myself. Yes, absolutely. Um, because <laughs> doing the steps is great. And my sponsorship family, we do the steps every year. Um, and I just finished five, six and seven nice. last week. Uh, and I'm getting ready to go to amends and you know, it, it's, it's great to do them every year. I, I work a 10, 11 and 12 and, and I'll explain more a little bit about that. Um, for those people out there who might not, you know, know what I'm talking about. Like mm -hmm. if I'm speaking Chinese to you right now, like yes. that's okay. Um, <clears throat> we had to start somewhere. I had to start somewhere mm -hmm. and I had to start at like a much, you know, uh, much further down, <laughs> you know, as far down as you could go. Cause I'm a smart dumbass and I need things explained to me like, mm -hmm. you know, like I'm six. Um, you had mentioned something in your, as you were speaking in regards to your thinking and mm -hmm. your drinking. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about, is this, is alcoholism a thinking disease or is it a drinking disease? Well, <clears throat> I mean, for me, alcoholism is a thinking disease, yep. you know? So like uh, to, to put it into perspective, the night I got my third OUI, I had gotten my license back about two months prior. I'd lost it for five years prior to that because wow. I didn't breathalyze. Mm -hmm. um, and that was the second OUI. So uh, 19 to 20, I lost it. 20 to 25, I lost it. And then I lost it immediately, like 60 days after I got it back. And, and I was at home. It was like a Monday night. Um, I had found this cool little red sports car that I'd worked on and got it up and running. Cause I, you know, I was like, I'm done. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm moving on with my life. You know, we're, we're only up, you know, and, and moving along from here. And my friend, a friend of mine came over and I had just started drinking. I had taken a couple pills and, uh, you know, he was like, Hey man, he was like, we should go. It's this town called Booth Bay Harbor. It's, it's oh, yeah. really famous in, in yep. coastal Maine and Booth Bay Harbor is like a half hour from me. And he's like, and I, I wasn't going to drive. I knew I was going to drink that night, you know, and he was like, we should go to Booth Bay. He's like, you just got your license back. We're going to take that little red sports car down there. We're going to go to the bars. We're going to find, oh, you know, some God. female companionship. He's like, we can go back to my house. He lived in Booth Bay. Yeah. And he's like, you can just sleep at my house. And he'll go into work the next morning and nothing, nobody will be the wiser. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, this is a really bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> It was a terrible idea. Like and then you get behind the, the, wheel. the yes. evidence shows <laughs> that this is not going to work out well for me. Yep. And I know that. And then this other thought came to, into my head and that thought was, well, F it, let's go before I change my mind. Yeah. And that's all it took, yeah. you know? Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I don't believe Stella and I were just talking about this on the way down, you know, the, the, the slogan in Alcoholics Anonymous of think through the drink. Yeah. I personally don't like that. Because like, like case, case in point, just to that story that I spoke about, yeah. like I thought it through yeah. and I still, I still did it. it. <laughs> I still did it, you know? Um, 
there's there's a uh, there's a gentleman at the rehab that I worked at, or that I that I went to. Sorry, and and he he came up with the, he had this this uh, he must have rehearsed it. It was like perfect, and it's how you explain like the mental obsession, right? Yeah. So he 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 approached us in a class one day, and he was like, "Listen, he was like, if Big Pharma came out with a pill, right, a pill that you take every day, and you can drink in safety, would you take it?" And I'm like, "Absolutely." hands down that's all you know? i wanted that's yeah exactly <laughs> that's what i was looking for. yeah and and he's like yeah you know i probably would too and he's like and you know if you're anything like me you know you'd probably be taking that pill things would be great you know but then that thought might creep in your head well if one works really well what happens if i take two i bet i can drink an even better safety mm-hmm. you know i bet if i crush that pill up and snort it i'll probably be really safe <laughs> and you know what i bet if i freebase that pill yeah. then i'm really really safe in drinking yeah. That's why, you know, for me, it's it's a thinking disease. Yeah. The the allergy that's that's just a byproduct. Yep. You know. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then I was gonna ask you about getting sober, right? We're sober now. And first of all, I do want to acknowledge that Justin's mom family's on, and they I see that. Okay. So we can say hello to them. Hi guys. Um, and I think she said it was Myrtle Beach. She's a Yes. Myrtle Beach. Yeah. I love it. Me too. Um, so now we get sober, right? And if people are thinking, well, how did you stay sober for 24 hours? Mm. Oh. Right? Mm-hmm. How did you do it the first 24 hours? Someone's out there having right now trying to put the bottle down. How did you do 24 hours without a drink? Well, what I can tell you is that the the first, you know, 30 days, I, I was in an inpatient rehab. Yep. And while I could leave anywhere, like I could leave at any time, you know, yep. I, it wasn't jail. I, I could have walked out of there. Um, from that botched suicide attempt, like I knew that something was going on and my own thinking did have sufficient force at that point in time to hold me there for 30 days. And and I remember when I was about to get discharged from there, they, they brought up sober living. Yeah. And, and they initially wanted to send me to Massachusetts. And I told them, absolutely not. Nothing against Mass, but I was Thanks. like, there's no way I'm going to Mass. Well, yep. so even at the end of that 30 days, I had gone through, you know, steps one through seven, yep. right? But there was still this thought in my head that, you know what, if you relapse, it's a hell of a lot harder to get back to Damariscotta, Maine from wherever they were going to send me in Massachusetts than Portland, which was the secondary option. And I was like, it's either Portland or I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. And so, you know, even at 30 days sober, I was still, you know, being a little brat about it. Were you having the obsession for alcohol within those 30 days? I believe I was. Okay. It's, you know, it's, it's hard to look back on it now. Yeah. Actually, what's interesting, I just thought of this. Um, so when I went to that rehab, my dad just like threw all my dirty laundry in a garbage bag and was like, here you go. Here's your clothes for rehab. Mm-hmm. Um, and... <laughs> And they had laundry there. So I start doing my laundry and everyone's doing laundry there. And there's just like two washers and dryers. Right. And I pulled, someone had taken my laundry out and put it on top of the washer and put their stuff in the dryer. And as I grabbed my laundry, a bag of weed fell out. And I'm like, Oh my God. I was like, boy, I wish I'd had that like, you know, two weeks ago or whatever. Um, And I put it, I stuffed it in my pocket. And it felt like a like a burning hot rock in my pocket. You know, like it was like a billion degrees as I put it in there. Yeah. And um, and I took it back to my room. And I remember walking outside like I was going to smoke a cigarette after lights out. And I was like, I could smoke this right now. I could. It's been through the wash. It's probably going to be awful, <laughs> but I could. And And something came over me that definitely wasn't me. And I emptied it out. I like dumped it into the bushes yeah. and, and threw the baggie away, ripped it up into like a billion pieces. Cause I was super paranoid. Um, the reason I say that was, is simply because, you know, you asked like, how did I stay? Like I wanted to drink and I wanted to use, yep. you know, what happened though, was I started doing the steps in that rehab nice. and, and like I did a third step, you know, we turn our will and our lives over to the care of a higher power as we understand it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I didn't know what that meant. I got down on my knees, held hands with a bunch of random strangers <laughs> in this yep. chapel that I've been there for a week. 
I, we said some <clears throat> words and like they're like that's it you're done and i'm like what what did we even do mm-hmm. you know that's why i say like it worked in spite of me because yeah. me under my own volition i would i would have tried to smoke that entire bag of weed you know that night <laughs> you know and it could have been anything if i'd found it you yeah. know insert your favorite drug here mm-hmm. you know um and so mo- like moving out of rehab, right? Like <clears throat> the, there were some nights, you know, like when my mom got really sick and, you know, right before she passed away, like uh, I'd be staying in my, I'd be in my sober house and be like, God, I just, this is too much. I can't handle this. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to go and drink. And I'd be lying if I said just as many times as I prayed through it, you know, and, and did what they teach here in AA. Yeah. Uh, I would, I wouldn't be telling the truth if I didn't say, you know, some nights, I just realized that, you know, wow, like I'll have to pack all my stuff up. I just bought this bed. Mm-hmm. I don't want to lose this bed. Mm-hmm. You know, like this is just really inconvenient, but I'm probably just going to go to bed and hopefully tomorrow's a better day. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, I, I say that because, you know, we, we talk about like, if you ever come to an AA meeting, you talk about being like spiritually fit, you know, like, well, you know, everyone in when they speak in AA talks about the high points, you know, yep. not a lot of people talk about the low points, right. you know, and, and for those people out there listening, you know, to not touch on those, right. Not be like, yeah, you know, for the first little while I wanted to drink, I wanted yeah, to use, same. you know, um, my therapist is like, don't let the thought last mm-hmm. longer than three seconds because yeah. you get that hamster on the wheel mm-hmm. and right. it's going to get some yep. momentum. Right. So like the first year of sobriety, I walked around looking like I had Tourette's because every three seconds I was like, go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah. Like, don't let it get its momentum. Yeah. You know, right. like yeah. you really need to start making the switch of mm-hmm. the way that we think. Well, I think the big thing for me too was beginning to help others. Amen. Um, because I would sponsor people and I'd sponsor people just coming back, you know, or coming there for the first time. And I would see the struggles that they were going through, yep. you know, and, and that had sufficient force for me to say, wow, you know what? Like, I know I will go there. Yep. I know I will. If, if, if I drink, I will be that guy, yep. you know, and it's not a matter of if it's more of a matter of what. Right. Um, <clears throat> and you've had traumatic experiences where you didn't drink. You, yeah. you lost your mom. I lost a parent. You, and you didn't drink. Uh, I'm a cancer survivor. Amen. I, I didn't, didn't know drink. that. I mean, it was like cancer light, but yeah, who you cares? Know, it, it, cancer's cancer. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. And and um, you know, and it sucks. It does. Suck. Yes. F you, cancer. Yes. Mm-hmm. My my sponsor now, like, so when I write, it's called fear inventory. Yep. And and we talk about reliance on a higher power and fear inventory and. My sponsor always has me write the exact same thing, right? Every single time. It's that I'm not allowing God to protect and care for me in a manner that I just can't do for myself, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so what I had to come to terms with was that even though these thoughts might occur, you know, what does it say in our in our text? You know, when these things occur, we watch for them. Mm-hmm. We ask for them to be removed, and then we resolutely turn to someone else and see who we can help. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, and make amends and make amends. Yes, yes. Uh, you're right. <laughs> um, and and for me that that has been the way that I stay sober. Amen. Amen. No, it's 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 a really simple program. Yep. It is, and for complicated people, for complicated people. <laughs> yeah. And I, I always look at it as like. Uh, I work in sales. Yep. So like getting sober is a value proposition yep. and a value probably so that the price, right. Yep. Versus the benefit, the yep. benefit has to outweigh the price. If the benefit outweighs the price, then guess what? You're going to stay sober. So the price is you got to be a little uncomfortable for a little while. Some yes. people just can't handle that. I know. But the benefit or the, the thing that you get in return is a lifetime yeah. of happiness freedom and joy and it's not always going to be happiness freedom and joy you know? I, know. I have bad days too but yep. um you know y- you have to learn how to balance it yep. you know and and how to make getting sober appeal more than the pain that's right so like i you know 
I, you, I'm trying to come full circle around your question, but, um, you asked, you know, okay, like, how did you, how did you stay sober that first little bit? Like, well, the last time I drank, I tried to kill myself and, you know, they say alcoholism is a progressive disease. Well, it doesn't progress much further past that. Right. <laughs> death, jails, institutions, yeah. institutions, uh, institutions, jails, and death. So, mm-hmm. so yes. I, I just, I had to concede to my yeah. innermost self that if I drink again, I will kill myself. Yeah. And that's it, you know? Yeah. Um, and I won't mess up this time. Yeah. You know? So, like, for me to drink is truly to die. Yes. You know? And they say that the first step is the only step that you got to do perfectly. And that's how I stayed sober in the beginning. Nice. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, um, we're going to hear. So ever since I said, oh, I'm having Stella on the show, mm-hmm. my husband keeps going, Stella. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, don't make me hate her name before she even arrives. <laughs> he was even screaming it in the parking lot. I'm oh, like, I haven't met her yet. But anyways, we're going to take a quick break. And we're going to come back and hear from Miss Stella. And we'll read and figure out what's going on here so we can comment. Also, I want to let people know. If you want to call in, you can call in to speak to these two beautiful souls. The number is 978-659-0072. We'll be right back after this quick break. Haven of Hope is a faith-based 12-step recovery home for women seeking a loving and structured lifestyle to help them persevere over addiction. Our Sober Living House offers women an opportunity to gain life skills, coping mechanisms, and personal growth so they may return to their home or working field as productive members of society. Haven of Hope's approach is based on fostering a structured, faith-based life with a core component being the 12 steps from the book of Alcoholics Anonymous, for with God, all things are possible. Contact Haven of Hope at havenofhopemethuen.org or call 978-258-3982. That's 978-258-3982, or visit us at 82 Union Street in Methuen. Hi there. My name's Phil Leahy, and I do the Empty Chair Show here. And as much as Fran and I have enjoyed doing this show, our real passion is with where it all began, the Circle of Hope, my support group for the families of addicts. I learned a long time ago that dealing with an active addict is just too difficult. So we invite you to join our group, The Circle of Hope. Uh, Give me a call, 978-886-2949, and you'll see our banner on the show anyway. And, And give me a call, find out what it's all about. You know, if you don't think you're ready to sit into a group uh, Fran and I always invite people uh, over to the house and we sit down, have a one-on-one, and we talk about a plan you'll have to set up, how to deal with someone in active addiction, or, or just give you a chance to vent. So, I mean, if you or someone you know has dealing with a, someone in active addiction, reach out, give a call, take the first step. I promise you that it won't make it easier, but once you understand what it's all about, you'll be able to deal with it a little bit better. So again, 978-886-2949. Just ask for Phil. I'm always available 24-7. Thanks, and we'll see you on the empty chair. Bye-bye. Welcome back to the second half of the show. And um, before I forget, you know, just because I saw, you know, Phil Leahy, who is my mentor, my right-hand guy um, that I adore, um, him and his wife. Fran's a little under the weather, so if um, people could just keep her in your prayers right now. She's um, she's under the weather. And also Phil's daughter, Colleen's a little under the weather right now. They were at an event together, so I'm not saying anymore, but keep them in your prayers. And Franny, I know you're listening. I love you. Um, so, Miss Stella, welcome, welcome. Thank you again for taking the hour ride um, from Maine to come be here on the show for saying yes without yeah. even knowing what you were signing up for. Yeah, I had no you know, idea. And here yeah. you are, you know. Yeah. yeah. So, tell us a little bit about yourself and sure. uh, how long are you sober? Um, I got sober December 27, 2019, so Amen. a little over three years. Amen. And, That's uh, a beautiful thing. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's a miracle, man. I've yeah. learned that it's an absolute miracle. Um, Did you have many tries before this last try? Or is this something that you just knew you needed to do? Not even. Right? <laughs> um, not even. I, uh, well, I'll tell you about that. And yeah. So I didn't, I was not somebody who came in here and was like, please help me. I yeah. was not somebody who showed up at detox because I was like ready to get help. Um, honestly, I was, um, I was high yeah. and I had no more options to get more drugs yeah. and I had no more money and I was offered drugs and then a ride to, re to detox. And I wanted it so badly that I, I just, I didn't even think past the getting what I wanted. Yeah. And um, then when I arrived at the detox, I'm like, where are we? And he's like detox. And I'm like, Oh no, and he, <laughs> no, no, no. I just, I just like, I was so used to manipulating my way out of things mm -hmm. that I didn't even make come up with a plan how to do it. I just assumed like, no, nah, I'm not, I'm not doing that. And, uh, and, and uh, that's how I got here. Um, yeah, it was like, I, like Eli says, like in spite of myself, because, yeah. um, and you never left, like you showed up and you've been here. Yeah. That's I, a miracle. I had... And that I want to bring to people's attention because mm -hmm. people like to say in the programs, I don't know where they all came up with this, but we weren't saying this in 87 when I got sober mm -hmm. relapse was part of the program. It actually isn't, it doesn't have to be. Yeah. However, we love <clears> you no matter what, but mm -hmm. it, it, that relapse relapse could kill you. So. I, and I continued to hear that in the yep. first uh, for the first three months of my of my recovery. Um, I I on a daily basis yeah. kept thinking to myself, should I just relapse and get it over with so that I actually have a chance of getting this? Until right. someone said to me, they were like, "Hey, kid, not yeah. that's that doesn't have to be part of this, and not everybody makes it back." And I'm grateful that it wasn't said in '87 because that's my thought process. Mm -hmm. I would have said, "Oh yeah, I can relapse because mm -hmm. I can come back." Mm -hmm not walking it through because yeah. i'm not you know right in the mind yet that that relapse could cause me my life yeah yeah so no. i'm i'm so happy to hear that you have not yeah yeah and the next thing that guy said to me is like i'm not surprised who who goes i'm surprised who stays mm. and i was like it just like blew my mind yeah. you know and i and i i let go of that thought that relapse needed to be part of it then um and um so yeah, I mean, I grew up on a little island off the coast of Portland. It's called yep. Peaks Island. It's four miles around, and uh, like did I take the boat to it and ride yep. my bike around it? Yep. Okay, because yep. I'm like I know that island. Okay. Yep. And uh, so I grew up out there. It was like a very tight knit community. Yeah. Um, it has to be if it's an island. Yeah, and it's funny because like I hear everybody in the you know I hear a lot of people in the program say like I knew I drank differently than other people. I didn't, and um, uh, because we all. We all drank that way. And yes. when I got to the rooms of AA, they were all here. And I was like, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> yeah, no one told me. That, like, this is this is where we're supposed to go. You know, I just mm -hmm. didn't know. Um, I, I really didn't know that alcohol and drugs were like the source of my problem. Uh, because like I felt I felt uncomfortable in my skin ever since I could remember, and that was long before I could I ever picked up a drink. And when I was 13, I tried to commit suicide because I just couldn't handle living in my mind yeah. and in my skin. Yeah. And um, I hadn't even picked up a drink yet. I picked one up shortly after that. And that was the first time in my life I could live in my skin. Um, yeah. And like all that, you know, you're not good enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not smart enough. That just that just got real quiet. Yeah. And I was like, you know, here it is. Yeah. And um, and then, you know, my teenage years were super chaotic. I was all over the place um mentally and emotionally and like put my parents through hell and i was like running away and my mom How was chasing me away on an island well i <laughs> take a boat to portland and then just go and uh you know my my mom would you know spend almost a year running around the city of portland with my school picture asking if people knew where i was oh and like i now have a daughter who'll be 15 on sunday and i am like experiencing firsthand the fear of like just and the helplessness of yeah. like not being able to 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 fix it all yeah. you know and I, I actually texted my mom last week and I was like I I get it now yeah. like I, I was instant birth control for myself because mm -hmm. my mother kept on saying me you have a child mm -hmm. just like you so I says yeah I'm not having mm -hmm. any and I didn't mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> I wasn't gonna go through what you're about to share no yeah so then I uh you know, I mean, yeah, some you look 15. So the oh, fact thanks. that you have a 15 year old, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, well, you know. I have a my son just turned 22. <laughs> so, oh, God. yeah. Uh, so three days after my 16th birthday, I found out I was pregnant. Okay. And, um, and 
I, you know, my mom was 10 years sober when I was born. She's still sober. She'll be 49 Amen. years sober Amen. next month. All yep. right, mom. And, uh, and I thought my, I, so I grew up thinking both my parents were in AA because my dad didn't drink. So I, and my mom was in AA. So I just assumed they both were. And, uh, apparently, yeah, not, <laughs> um, but so I had my son at 16. My mom showed up for me in that the same way, you know, the way that, that I've, um, I can only hope to show up for my daughter. And she mm -hmm. said, whatever, whatever happens, we're going to do this together. And she mm -hmm. showed up just supporting. And, um, so I had my son, uh, junior year in high school. Um, a couple years later, I met my daughter's father. He was a ground fisherman and a uh, lobsterman at the time, but, but both. And, you know, we, we, we would drink hard on the weekends. And, and then I started working in the school system and he had a business and it was like, you know, we're going along. We decided we were going to um, have a baby and get married. And, and um, shortly after my daughter was born uh, was painkillers, got into the painkillers. Oh, wow. And that was like my first real experience of being physically addicted. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it was just like this downward spiral for the next five years. It was pretty vicious. And, uh, you know, I thought he was a problem. So I was like, I, I gotta go, I'm, I gotta get out of this. I gotta, you know, and I wanted him to be the problem because that would mean I wasn't. Mm -hmm. And I wanted the next guy to be the problem because that would mean it it wasn't me. Yep. And, you know, I got divorced after being together for 10 years. And, and nine months later, I'm, I'm, you know, meet the next guy and, and, you know, it's like they say, right next, yep. you know, and the yep. actors move and then the new yep. actors come in. Yep. And, yeah. uh, and I just brought, you know, like or, or my kids lived in chaos and, and his kids pretty much got left behind. And it was just, um, this alcohol, just, it was a mess. Yeah. And, uh, and then finally about eight months before, um, I mean, I had a DUI, we had a house fire and all, all this stuff. And, and, uh, you know, I remember when I got the DUI, I lost, uh, they dropped it down to a driving to endanger. I don't know how. Um, and well, my mom got a good lawyer, you know, yeah. call my mom and, and she fixes it. And, um, and you know, that poor woman has done that my whole life and, and now she doesn't, you know, thank God. And, uh, but she shows up and supports just the way she always has. And, uh, and so I got a DUI and like, I remember losing my license for 30 days and it was like, it shocked me. But even in that, I did not consider that I had an alcohol problem. I, I was like, wow, I made one bad choice and this is what happens. I had never been in legal trouble. I haven't since, um, thankfully, but like, um, I lose my license for 30 days after like a year deferred disposition. And the literally the day I got my license back, I go to work on the island because at that point I wasn't living there, but I, I was working out there. And I come back and I and I'm drinking and I'm driving and I'm on my phone and a state trooper have pulls in behind me, like corners me in the store. And all I could think is, how who does this guy think he is? <laughs> you know, I picture like what, what you know, and I'm and I'm not even like considering the fact that I have just been through all of, you know, just caused all this chaos, all this harm, all this damage because of alcohol, you know, because of alcohol yeah. and alcoholism. And uh, and here I am drinking and driving again, not even I hadn't even driving for 12 hours yet. And so that's what it looked like. It just, I, I was just this messy and loud and sloppy drinker right from the beginning, blackout, um, you know, pass out. And it just never looked any better. It just continued to get worse. And when alcohol stopped working, I drank a lot longer. And and then I just switched to a different substance and then I'd switch back to alcohol. I'd have a five or six year period of, of whatever, you know, something else. And and then, uh, you know, the last eight months, I mean, I picked up a crack pipe and, uh, and oh, I, shit. and I picked that up. This is the insanity that I now understand. I picked that up because, and, and I literally said, I know what it's like to be addicted to something. I'm never going to let anything control me again. I can smoke crack. And it gripped me like nothing had yeah. gripped me before. Cause before I would still physically show up, I would be chaotic and I'd be a mess and like embarrassing my kids and, and harming the people around me. But I was keeping everybody so far away that they couldn't quite um, couldn't quite figure out what was going. Some people, I mean, some people definitely knew. But I kept the, I kept my life really small, you know. But um, and I kept my kids hostage through it all. And that last eight months was just um, like just dropped to my knees. I couldn't show up anymore. I couldn't I couldn't hide it. I was just out of my mind. And uh, what and right before I got sober about a month before um, I got sober. So it was like Thanksgiving, 2019. My son looked at me, he was 18 and he just so afraid. And he said, mom, I feel like I'm in survival mode. And he had been like making sure his, his, his sister had eaten and making sure that she was like, not that I wasn't like yelling at her. And like, he was protecting his sister for that time. And he did for, for her whole life, but especially during that time. And, uh, um, I was just, I was not a safe person for them to be around and I did not take care of them. And, um, 
And so he was like, he just looked at me stunned and he was like, mom, I, I feel like I'm in survival mode. And uh, my daughter was 11 at the time and she wrote me a letter. Um, and mean, and I had, my, my house was not a safe place for people to process emotions and feelings, you know, mm -hmm. for us to, we didn't have, there weren't tools to heal or any of that. And we weren't looking at what was happening. Um, that I did not offer a safe space for that. And she wrote me this letter and I knew it took a lot. And uh, it said, uh, I'm not sure if you love me and I don't know if you've ever loved me and every day I wake up and I wanna die. Oof. And that um, wasn't enough for me to get sober. Mm -hmm. um, I couldn't numb anything out after that, but it was not enough for me to get sober. And um, it was important for me to realize that it, this was not a matter of my love for my kids or anything else, but it, the, the power of this thing yeah. has me, uh, you know, just wrecked, leveled. Um, two weeks later, I lost my job at a high school. Um, and um, I went to my first AA meeting. I was not sober. Did you lose it because of alcoholism? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. absolutely. Yep. And they were super kind. And they were, they tried to help me and I wouldn't accept it. I was okay. like doing the victim thing. It's, it's, um, yep. it's for me because of this and it's because of this, but yep. I would not own any of it and I wouldn't accept their support. And finally, they just didn't have any options. And they were like, we can't have you here. Okay. And um, so, um, I'm, I'm going to like fast forward through, but it, it's, uh, I ended up in the detox a few, you know, uh, right around Christmas. Um, I ended up going to a treatment center. I did not plan on going to the treatment center. They brought my 18 year old son and my parents in for family intervention. And when they read their letters and my parent, my mom let me know that she was going to protect my kids from me if I chose not to go. Um, it hit me hard, the reality for mm -hmm. the first time the reality of like, oh my God, this is, this is really where things are at. And, um, and, uh, I was a hundred pounds and I was gray and I was so broken inside and hopeless. And I just didn't know that there was any other way. I didn't know that life could be anything different than what it was. And I couldn't even handle living like that anymore. It was just at that place of every, every night I was going to bed saying like, please don't wake me up tomorrow. And, um, and, when I, when my mom read that letter and they told me I, she was offering to send me to treatment or intervene with mm -hmm. and protect my kids. Um, when I looked up, I looked at my son and um, all the fear and everything I just explained inside, I could see on his face. And I said, oh, I'll go. All right. And I had no idea what I was signing up for. And every step of the way of my recovery has been, it has not gone the way I've planned. And that's why, <laughs> why I'm still here. Yes. You know, because absolutely. if I had done any step of this, if I had done it my way, I would probably, I, I, I most likely would not be here. Um, so I went to a treatment center. I went to a, uh, you know, I went to a sober house. I was two and a half months sober for my first time ever and COVID shut the world down. And, um, I learned hard that like I had to hustle for this. I was at a point then I didn't want to go backwards, but I didn't know what going forward meant. Luckily, um, they had opened the book. I had gotten into the steps, um, since the day somebody opened the book, this book with me, I haven't had a drink or a drug since, um, and it was, I was insane. I couldn't sit still for a really long time. Um, but I, I got a sponsor and she can, she really taught me the value of consistency and, mm -hmm. um, and doing this on a consistent basis, no matter what. And she just loved me and she just loved me through all this stuff. And, and um, I'm going to, you know, like, I mean, a lot happened in the first couple of years. Um, the most important thing I think is that, um, you know, building my relationship with my kids when I didn't really know how to be a mom. Yeah. And uh, the women in this program and fathers in this program and men um, have taught me how to do that. And the, I think the most important thing I did in that time was I allowed my daughter to have her own journey and her own healing journey and not on my time. Mm -hmm. And uh, when she was ready to, to re-engage with my life, you know, she came in, she came back. And um, it's been a, you know, we've progressively been working on that relationship since. Um, and um, I've really worked hard at, at, at showing up for her and learning how to do that and then doing that to the best of my ability and just loving her, really loving her wherever she's at. And um, she chose, she moved in with me full time a few months ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. And, mm -hmm. and um, it's, uh, I mean, she's almost 15. So I pray on a daily basis yeah. that I can just survive it and that I can yeah. love her through it and that she <laughs> survives it. And, um, you know, it's up and down, but I'll get into um so when I was two years sober, I was looking for, I was really just looking for a different experience. And um, I was looking for a new sponsor, not because I didn't love my other sponsor. I was just looking for some like ready for a change and yeah. stuff. And I was wanting to know, I wanted this to have this like deeper connection with God. I wanted to understand how other people were connecting with God and what, uh, what really service in this program meant. Cause I saw people who were just free and I'm like, how do you, how do you get that? And then I met Justin and, um, and he was, uh, you know, living that. And he was like, um, 
and he brought me to, you know, he brought me to church and I don't really know what happens there, but I go there every Sunday. I love what's happening there. Mm -hmm. I feel so connected there. Um, and <clears throat> we spent the next four months together and he just like really blew my world up in a lot of ways, a lot of ways. And my kids too, my kids really loved him. And I got, and, um, he's just a really, really good man, really mm -hmm. good man. And, um, and then four months later, um, he relapsed and he overdosed in my house while I was at work and my best friend found him. And, uh, and, uh, she came to my work to let me know that he was no, that what had happened. And, uh, she'd been my best friend for 27 years. And she was, uh, the person I called when I, when I came into this program, um, she's, she's, uh, she was four and a half years sober at that point. And, um, you know, um, things got really dark. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't lose my faith in God in mm -hmm. that, in that time. Um, and it's, a, and it, my faith is really what has gotten me through it. And, mm -hmm. uh, his family's faith is so strong and Amen. I got to meet his mom and it was like Amen. amazing, amazing. Yeah. And, uh, um, I, I will say that not only did that happen, but two days after that, um, when I went into my basement, I found a loaded crack pipe. And in that moment, um, I knew I was going to be okay because even in that moment, I didn't want anything to do with it. Amen. And I did exactly what I was taught to do. And that was to, to call and ask for help. And, and, uh, and I really just followed my feet. And that time I followed what I had been doing. And luckily I had been in the middle of my program when this happened. Mm -hmm. So I just continued, I couldn't even put a thought together. So I just continued to put one foot in front of the other and kind of autopilot, do what I had been doing. And thank God that was recovery yeah. and, and, got, and, and following my, my faith. Um, and you know this last year has been uh i don't even have really words for it it's been uh quite a journey in itself and um i've i've just learned to really love people you know mm -hmm. like really 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 love people right where they're at mm -hmm. and i try to show love and compassion to everybody i meet and mm -hmm. i work in treatment so i meet people and all kinds of places who have mm -hmm. done all kinds of things that that they are ashamed of and carry and um really my goal in life i don't really have like these big dreams and goals my goal yeah. my, my real dream is to like if i can if i can give a little if i can give some love to everybody who comes across my path then i feel like my life is worth it amen. worth it so amen yeah that is a powerful testimony absolutely and um and we rejoice knowing that we will see him again mm. you know he's mm -hmm. just not on this side but in the next life we will yeah. be with him yeah. you know yeah some powerful stuff so alcoholism they had that brochure of 40 questions to ask yourself if you're an <laughs> alcoholic you know and um so if anyone's out there listening tonight like this is a, a true testimony that um that if you're struggling with uh alcohol you don't have to drink you know, you just heard these two amazing stories of how you got through good times and bad times mm -hmm. without picking up, without the relapse. And, uh, and and thank you for sharing that. Thank you for your vulnerability and your transparency. And um, I'm in awe over your story and, and very moved by it. And uh, so thank you for being here tonight. So um, I want to thank everyone that's out there listening, um, especially the Stout family for jumping on and this will be available on iTunes, YouTube, Google. Like you'll have this for the rest of your life. So you can put it with your portfolios. You can share it with people who didn't get to see it. And um, and tonight, you know, you two just brought a, a light into this room and, and showed people that recovery is possible. And for that, I'm thankful, you know. So thank you for driving the hour to come be with me. And um, again, if you're out there listening and you're struggling, um, you don't have to do this alone. Mm -hmm. You have three individuals who will sit here who just testified that um, with each other we can get through anything. And most importantly, with God, all things are possible because um, without him, uh, you know, I lost my sister um, January 5th this year. And I think um, she took her life mm -hmm. and uh, because she couldn't get sober. Yeah. And I think um, how do people get through it without God? Like it blows my mind. Like that is the only you kept on talking about how your faith mm -hmm. is the only thing. That has gotten my whole entire family through this. Yeah, and it's this wild thing. because, like, when I when when the when God the whole concept of God was introduced to me a few years ago. Yeah. I mean, 
I, I was like, how could there be a God? All I've done is suffer. Me too. And that was it. And yeah, so hated. then now at hated. this point, it's yeah. like, amen. God's Peace, love, way. and Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll show you the way. Yeah. So that's all we got for tonight, folks. I just thank you all for tuning in, for being part of this. I know you guys have a few messages going on from Jackie and, and everyone. And um, I think three weeks, Mr. Leahy will be here because it's school vacation and he won't be around. So in three weeks, turn in for another episode of This Empty Chair. Um, until then, um, if no one told you they loved you today, I love you. And if you need help, please reach out. Alone you can't. Together we can and we will. Good night, everyone, and God bless. Good night. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.